one thing that I, I like to kind of remind myself and others about is that we're not, in imagining a farm at this site, we're not inventing anything new. We're not trying to invent anything new. We're really trying to bring activity that, that once was much more common in all cities and was sort of designed out over the, the last century or so, I think designed out too much. We are just trying to bring that back into the city in, in a more contemporary context. That was Caitlin Galloway, head of vision and strategy at the Greenhouse Project. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Welcome to the very last episode of season four of this show. Before I tell you about this episode, I want to thank you for listening. I also want to let you know to be on the lookout in the coming weeks for reruns and special messages from time to time. In this episode, Caitlin shares the story of founding Little City Gardens and talks about how that work led to her current project, working with Friends of 770 Woolsey to raise money and buy land for the Greenhouse Project in the Portola. We encourage you to visit their website, sfgreenhouses.org, get involved, and donate. Here's Caitlin. So much of you know, what was considered urban agriculture and so much gardening activity in the city was housed in sort of um, nonprofit institutions or, or sort of like um, set up in a way that fundraising was um, just ongoing. A challenge. You know? yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, those kind of operations were either employing people whose sole job it was um, to find funds to keep the project going and then you're also sort of beholden to those funders and, and foundations that right. are making this possible and we just um, we thought I wonder if there's room for there to be commercial farming in San Francisco um, really so that this type of activity can be sustainable in a different way and right. sort of um, we liked the idea that if it were possible that this could potentially pave the way for more people eventually maybe not immediately but that you know agriculture in the city could be a whole different game if there were ways for people to supplement their income right. and it didn't wasn't only kind of relegated to the realm of volunteer um, labor so um, and then we also just honestly weren't very interested in fundraising and mm -hmm. doing that type of work. And we really wanted, we liked this sort of very simple idea of being held, being accountable to a community, an immediate direct community of, of customers and um, sort of collaborators. Mm -hmm. So out of that small garden, we then started um, growing salad mix and herbs and we started oh. selling it to, um, Tartine was just around the corner mm -hmm. and by right as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we started kind of selling to a couple of restaurants. Oh, and wow. This is back in this 07, is 2008, 2009. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we started a really small CSA. So people in the building um, that we were, the the garden, the building whose garden we were kind of working in, we, we sold um, weekly vegetable boxes to them and to a handful of people around the neighborhood. Just, just doing it of, DIY? Yeah, totally DIY. Love it, love it. Um, and we just quickly determined that this was wanted, that people wanted to support this. They were even willing, at least some people were willing or able to pitch in a couple extra dollars to, to help sort of support this idea. Mm -hmm. um, Economics nerds call that demand yeah right <laughs> there was demand right 
And um, so we kind of hit a, a threshold. I think we had sort of different ideas of how long we saw ourselves in the city. I think I was really in this for the long haul, whereas Brooke was like, if this is going to work for me, I need a big project right. and I need to kind of... Um, yeah, we, I think we both were hungry for a big project together for, yeah. for different reasons. So around 2010, we had been doing this for a little while, discovered this demand. Um, and just salad greens? Mostly salad greens and herbs. Okay, got yeah. it. And some edible flowers, like, you know, just sort of, it was really kind of um, garnishy things. Okay. But, um, and we grew vegetables too, but uh, we're kind of making a business model out of these things that were a little bit more niche. Um so then we we decided that we were really going to make a go of this. We really wanted to see if this could really flourish in San Francisco on a at a more kind of sustainable scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make a long story short, we spent a year or so um, trying to figure out where we would do this. We found a piece of land um, in the Outer Mission. It was a what used to be a creek, and it was surrounded on three sides by backyards. Um, it was just like this beautiful kind of long, narrow, secret spot. Okay. So we sort of staked it out a bit, um, talked to neighbors, and found out who owned it. It was privately owned. Contacted the landlord, make a, made a whole pitch for why we felt like we should um, be able to build a big garden on, at this site, what we thought would be in it for them. Um, it's so funny because I just feel like the landscape has changed so much that I just don't know that we would have made those points. Right. Now, it would have been a whole separate sort of type of proposal. But back then, it just still, we were kind of very earnestly approaching this idea. Right. Um, and we fortunately... Um, got the landlord to talk to us. He lived in LA. Um, I'm sure he was savvy enough to see that this would would be beneficial for him to have these two people at no cost to him come and clean up his property and establish goodwill in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, so we drove down to LA to sign a lease with the owner um, and then came back up and had a year and a half lease. Okay. For to start a farm on this piece of land. And so this is 2010. This is 2010. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we did it. We built a farm. It was. I mean, I. Wow. We could sort of talk for hours about how challenging it was to just t- to transform a piece of land like that. I mean, we yeah. would sort of. We would get out there with weed whackers and start kind of hacking back this very established fennel. And oh. then, you know, we'd like work at it and bring all our friends out there helping us do it. And we just we were working our bodies so tired. And yep. then a week later, we would sort of turn back and the fennel would all be respread. Uh, yeah. You know, it was just it, it was it a losing that. game. It just wasn't. <laughs> My next door neighbors working. to this day. <laughs> um, was there yeah. any bamboo? There was no bamboo. Oh my Good. Gosh, thank goodness. Good no, for it was you. mostly fennel and fennel's annoying enough. Grass. Yeah. Bamboo is like a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. So anyway, we ended up um, hiring a a friend to come in with a tractor and clear the whole space. That was after six months or so. Um, I'm wondering down, you said there used to be a creek. So like down mm -hmm. underneath all that stuff, maybe some pretty fertile ground. Yeah. Yeah. It was great soil. Um, It was really conducive to to the type of, to to farming, to gardening. It was not conducive to development, which is why it had not yet been developed. Mm -hmm. The water table was high because it had been a creek. Um, So there were low points that would flood every winter, which isn't ideal for any sort of, you know, use. um, But it's more workable um, for a garden than it is for, um, you know, something built. Right. 
condos. Yeah. Um, how big was it? How big was the plot? It was three quarters of an acre. Okay. So it was sizable. Yeah. Um, so to make a long story short, we kind of just earnestly slash naively, um, barreled through this kind of like first year of really trying to make this happen. We had a lot of support. We just felt very encouraged by people around us. Um, and we just felt, we felt really kind of like determined to just really build this space into a farm no matter what happened we were going to try and this so I think we framed it from the beginning as an experiment and that wasn't sort of out of um no I guess it was out of humility but it was also realistic it felt just like we have no idea what's going to happen we don't know if this is going to work and we don't know exactly why it will or won't but we just feel like um, the only way to find out is to really just do it do it yeah Um, and you know there's a real amount of privilege that we had to kind of exercise to even get to the point where we could kind of know that for the next couple of years we'd make a very modest income Mm -hmm. Um, we would need to be supported by family and friends Mm -hmm. we would need to kind of like exercise all our other sort of creative um like skills to to make a living outside of this work so we kind of knew what we were getting into and we knew not everyone could could make this happen but we just felt like this is something we wanted to really try so we did that um we sort of found out quickly what some of the challenges would be namely um there were some zoning issues right off the bat um so we started working with the city um less than a year in to Uh, address some of those challenges to start to change the zoning code in the city to allow for this type of commercial activity in a residential neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the first of many kind of conversations we were to have with city departments about, um, you know, what uh, what type of activity was appropriate for what type of spaces in the city. And it felt like worthwhile conversation. It really interrupted our work. I mean, it's so much work just to to build a farm, not only physically to kind of trans- build soil and transform a space, but also just all the systems that are required and kind of need to build momentum in order for a farm to be functioning. Right. Um, it just, it was... Um, it was it was hard to do was it a learning process would you say yeah definitely that but then also the the dealings with the city Mm -hmm. learning process it was a crash course in city bureaucracy right I learned a lot about real estate and about city laws and how city laws happen in San Francisco and you know learned kind of who was who and Mm -hmm. all the things that Mm -hmm. like um yeah I I know who was who before some of them went to jail Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah So um, anyway, we did that just to kind of skip through that. We we did that work, Brooke and I. At, we called it Little City Gardens. And oh. we did that for um, th- about three years together before she moved away. She ended up, you know, San Francisco just, she was called out of the city. But um, you said you kind of kind of knew that about her. Yeah, that, that I she, think right. we both kind of knew that that was right. maybe the plan. Um, but uh, I stayed and I ended up kind of, um, enlisting some friends to, to come help and kind of co-farm um, with me. And we ended up carrying it through for another close to five years. Oh, wow. Or, no, four years. In total, it was about seven years at that spot. So till about 2017. 20, 20, end of 2016. Okay, wow. Um, well, a different were, sort of world implosion was happening then. Yeah. If I may. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, we, yeah. Were, we don't have to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, 
So in that six years that we operated that farm, we did end up eventually sort of building it and growing and, and selling vegetables, cut flowers, herbs. Uh, we still kind of kept the same sort of fancy salad mix that we had first created back in the original spot. Um, we had a whole handful of restaurants we worked with, markets. We did a stint at the Mission Farmers Market for a season. Um, we did a, a kind of CSA for neighbors. So we sort of carried all of that through. I mean, we really, um, we did really dig into this experiment of um, maintaining a, a working farm in San Francisco. And were you still painting signs? Yeah, and I was still, so oh, okay. alongside all of this work, I kept this sign painting practice, worked at New Bohemia for um, maybe five years mm -hmm. and then branched off and sort of I've had my own studio. I don't paint signs quite as much anymore, maybe occasionally for friends, but I, it's turned into more of a personal art practice that okay. still sort of draws from some of that. Um, did y'all do the sign for Little City Gardens? I did. Yeah. Uh -huh. Nice. Yeah. A bunch of signs for a little city. So that was just, it was such a... Um, it was such a meaningful project to me and to, to, to others. I mean, I think it, there was such a solid community that formed around that farm, both kind of in the neighborhood. Like we just, we had the best neighbor. I mean, some of those neighbors, my next door neighbor at the time, Bob, um, is one of my, I, he, I consider him like family still. Yeah. So nice. there was just a lot of really special relationships that formed. Um, a lot of the, the farm attracted a really amazing type of, or like kind of cross section of people mm -hmm. who were interested in farming or gardening or had no real interest in farming or gardening and just wanted to be outside okay. or had no interest in either, but wanted to find kind of people, people. To, to spend time with outside yeah. of work, you know, or like it just, it, it felt like a really special and unique combination of, um, pulls, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, and it really felt like it's funny because I sort of started all of this saying that there's these very different sort of tracks of my um, energy or kind of the way I spend my time that don't seem related, but to me they are. And one of them is I really did feel like this farm was a big art project. Mm. And it's hard to talk about it like that. I think that leads to some misunderstandings or it kind of, I think it sort of diminishes the seriousness of what we were trying to do. Right. But I think in the sense that, you know, if if making art is, or, or sort of being engaged in an art practice is a sort of ongoing set of question asking and being more interested in the questions than in any sort of conclusions mm -hmm. or expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a sort of really active relationship with materials and space and, um, you know, and collaboration, you know, kind of like being committed to ongoing collaboration in all those ways. That's what this space was. Yeah. Um, I see it. Maybe that just, that's just who I am, but like creating something and having that something speak to people yes. in some way. Mm -hmm. That's what art I feel like is at the Definitely. end of the day. Right. It felt so much like that. I felt like I was sort of holding this space, maintaining it in some base basic way so that other people could come and kind of have their own relationship with it, their right. own interactions with it. And that certainly happened. Um, so it just was a, it was a beautiful time. It was so hard. It was like really challenging. Sometimes it felt sort of, um, 
like a losing battle mm-hmm. in some ways, um, especially as like kind of real estate pressure, development pressure in San Francisco continued to increase. And that's right. That's when that really started and it only got more intense yeah. over the last decade for yeah. sure. So the last two years that we were at that site, um, the current owner that we had originally signed the lease with sold it and mm-hmm. then and then that developer sold it again. So it, the property changed hands a couple times while we were there. Each time uh, I was working with a group of advisors and kind of collaborators on trying to buy the property, um, at mm. least trying to kind of work with a land trust or some sort of entity that could hold this property for agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, we just didn't get far enough, quick enough to make right. it happen. So ultimately what happened is in 2014, 14, I think, uh, school bought, a private school brought the property. And then, so in our last year and a half or two years of, of tenure there, um, we were working with this, the owner that was this private school. And I won't talk too much about that, but um, it was hard. It yeah. was just sort of, there was a lot of, um, it was really challenging. Yeah. And I think it just brought up a lot of questions about um, what was sort of destined to to fail in in this setup Mm -hmm. where we you know it just became very clear to me that a farmer in a city absolutely has to have long-term land tenure Mm. um a secure access to a space or else it'll never work and it'll always be temporary it'll always be this really kind of like um i don't want to say wasted energy because nothing nothing we did there feels wasted but it it will feel like sort of treading water Mm -hmm. um unless there were some really structural kind of um, foundational supports in place. And I feel like it's a way, it's a, 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 a way of thinking about gardens versus farms. Totally. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think that, um, you know, framework was the word I was looking for. It's a different framework of, of looking at something. Yeah, it is because I think, um, I think what's different about a farm is the ways that sort of um, it's the it's the relationship with the place, it's the relationship with the work, it's the type of systems that need to be in place in order for the whole thing to function. I think that that it, those are those are different. Let's talk about this place. Yes. So well, all this all this that I'm talking about sort of leads to where we are now. So ultimately. A lot of the conclusions that we were able to draw at Little City Gardens are now what are kind of feeding into the visions for this place, this greenhouse, the greenhouses that we're sitting in. Okay. So, um, at the risk of humility, did you spearhead the project here? No. Okay. So I'm. You working found it something, or you you met people. Yeah. Who were, I sort okay. of joined forces with some people who Got had it. already identified this place. Um, so I work now um, with a, a group of people that were the greenhouse project before I came along. It's a group. At, at that point, it was a group of three guys who had were born and raised in San Francisco, saw this place. Um, recognized how beautiful and how much potential was here but also recognized that in the sort of um, the way that San Francisco was going this was likely not going to be here for very long unless there was some really sort of strategic and um, kind of just coordinated efforts to really sort of stake a flag of interest and and kind of community you know, support or community or organizing around something other than what it would likely be. 
And so when you found them and it, you were like, oh, hell yes. Yeah. So so when I found them and it, um, I think they none of them are farmers in any way or have much agricultural background. Um, they're, they were kind of a group of lawyers, and a couple of them are lawyers, a couple of them, one of them is a, a firefighter. They all love San Francisco, and really also, I think we're all kind of... Um, we share a love of like the weird parts of San Francisco and want to kind of keep San Francisco, um, you know, I don't know. So anyway, it was, it was really a treat to find them. And I think they kind of were inspired by what we were doing at Little City Gardens. So I joined, I joined this effort while I was still working at Little City. Um, and then once Little City closed, I kind of, for work, sort of picked back up a lot of the art and design work that I had been doing and then also started putting much more energy into this group. So that's where we are now. And t- just to kind of now fully transition to to this place. Yeah. Can we hear the history yeah. quickly? Yeah. yeah. So um, this these greenhouses were built in 1922 by the Garibaldi family. And they it's the last remaining site of what used to be a couple dozen um, similar operations in the neighborhood, all sort of independently kind of family run. You said 1922? Um, 1922. Literally 100 years. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That One of the things that we're kind of, we like to say right now is that this is 100 years old and we are really trying to build a space that can be here for another 100 years. Love it. Um, so... Uh, this was owned by the Garibaldis up until 2017. It was the flower operation that was here shuttered in the mid 90s, so it's been in kind of dormancy, um, the, how you see it now for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, the family sold it to a developer who owns it currently, and that developer um, is well aware that there's a really strong community around this, not just the greenhouse project, not just Friends of 770 Woolsey, but a whole sort of um, community of people around the city that have their eyes on this site as as like maybe the strongest potential for San Francisco to have a permanent working farm. Right. Um, so um, the to make a kind of long, complicated story short, last year in 2021, the current owners... Um, made a deal or offered a, a purchase option to the community. So we have um, we have an option to purchase the property. It's a time sensitive option, so it expires this coming July. Okay. Um, so we we being the greenhouse project supported by you know the the neighborhood and friends of 770 um, have been engaged in a really intensive fundraising campaign, capital campaign. Um, It's a kind of two-pronged campaign. The first phase is what we're in now, which is to try to raise money for, to to buy the property. The second phase will be once we have um, control of the property, then to raise money to to build it out. To make it into a farm. Yeah, but the vision is um, a working farm, a really community-centered working farm. So a lot of the work that we've been doing in the last decade before we had the purchase option was just sort of working in support of community in the Portola. So um, there's a lot of kind of greening efforts around the neighborhood that are really like so impressive. Um, Just there's a really strong sense of kind of identity in this neighborhood Mm -hmm. i I was telling you before that this is the garden district Mm -hmm. um it was named that recently um kind of that identity was was reclaimed but it's sort of an original tagline for the neighborhood back from you know when this all used to be nurseries and um 
and gardens. So um, there's just a really sort of, I think there's a lot of potential for that identity and, and we're seeing it now, um, the ways that, you know, gardening, garden activity can um, bring people together a- across cultures is, it's real. I mean, it's, it's not Absolutely. just a tagline. I think it's right. really real. And this neighborhood is, um, you know, it's part of the Southeast. So it's sort of isolated from the rest of the city because of where the, the 101 and the 280 intersect. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of with the Bayview um, and Visitation Valley and the Excelsior kind mm-hmm. of... Um, a relatively like underserved area of San Francisco. So an under resourced. Um, So I think that there's a lot of enthusiasm, uh, you know, cross-culturally around there being something that's for the community out here. Um, So uh, yeah, we've been kind of, that's what we're doing now is we're trying to, to raise money to buy the property. Is there, are there ways that folks who are listening to this can contribute? Mm-hmm. Um, there will be more ways in the future. I think right now we're, we have our heads down and are working kind of we're very squarely, um, you know, kind of immersed in conversations in like the, the philanthropic world and mm. um, to try to raise a, a, a hefty raise yeah. in a short amount of time. Got it. There will be, there's a community raise that's happening um, that's headed by the Friends of 770 Woolsey. So they have different community events to, to help raise money alongside the, the larger campaign that's happening now. Um, How can folks find those? Both of us are, both kind of entities have social media. So okay. we're on Instagram. There's the Greenhouse Project and there's Friends of 770 Woolsey. Okay. Um, I would just stay tuned for community events. And, right. um, so as I mentioned, our theme this year, and this is the final episode of the year. We're taking a, a significant break after this, but um, the theme is we're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it comes up in conversation. It did with, with you and I mm-hmm. before we started recording. Uh, this plot of land in its various uses is still here. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. What does we are still here mean to you? Mm-hmm. When you stand up at the top of the hill and you look down, because this whole property of greenhouses sits on a slope, and when you stand at the top of the slope and look down and you see these dilapidated buildings that somehow, by some miracle, are still standing, um, just whatever sort of like stars have aligned to make it so that this has not been demolished yet feels representative of something. There's some metaphor in there. There's some. This is. This feels like such a symbol to me of both history and potential. And I think that potential feels so rare. It, it, it really does feel like it's dwindling. And I think one thing that I, I like to kind of remind myself and others about is that we're not, in imagining a farm at this site, we're not inventing anything new. We're not trying to um, invent anything new. We're really trying to bring activity that that once was much more common in all cities and was sort of designed out over the the last century or so I think designed out too much Um, we are just trying to bring that back into the city in in a more contemporary context so food production in cities um, it's not a new idea and so I would just love for it to be less novel um, you you know more kind of normal a more normal part of city infrastructure Um, so I think just seeing this space still standing um, and still kind of representing that history and the fact that this isn't anything new feels so potent to me it feels so kind of beautiful and inspiring and and what about the community around it 
yeah. can you talk about that and what it means to you? Yeah, I think um, I think living in San Francisco to me, well, I was recently having a conversation with a friend who was doesn't what isn't from San Francisco and is sort of worried that she'll never feel like she belongs here because there there is such a sort of rhetoric or narrative around like born and raised you know if if you're born and raised in San Francisco you have a certain kind of ownership or authenticity here and I think um, in breaking that down to me what I read that to mean that sort of sense of pride that some people really kind of share what I read that to mean is those are people who want to align with a version of San Francisco that really cares about this place and is not here to just sort of passively consume, but is here to really shape it. And so I think that that can apply to people who are not born and raised here, but want to share the same type of love and hate, love and frustration. Have you seen Black Last yes, Black Man? Yes. You can't hate it unless you love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think perfect. that's so true. Yeah, I so also perfect. think the opposite is true. You yeah. can't love it unless you hate it you can't love it unless you also see the things that really need work Mm -hmm. um and i think um i see that in this community i think that they're just the portola is um it's a real gem and i i think i also want to say that all of this work especially all the kind of marketing that's going to need to be done around this vision runs the risk of ruining that special kind of um it runs the risk of really sort of infiltrating what what is so special because it's just so real and um, quiet in a way. So I think that there, it's a it's a challenge, and I think it's a challenge we're all really aware of. Um, that you know, in order to kind of prevent against gentrification or displacement in this community that is so special, um, the way to protect against that is to make sure that this is always rooted in being shaped by what the community really wants and kind of continuing to do work to expand what we are meaning when we say the community. So sort of continuing to kind of deepen relationships with all the different kind of cultures and um you know, neighbors in the Portola and sort of in the outlying neighborhoods feels like really important work and a really big responsibility right now. So anyway, I feel really honored to be um, someone who is kind of stewarding at least a part of this idea. Um, I feel really honored that some of the work that I've done in the past helps to inform what we imagine could could take place here. Um, I don't know who will be, there will be multiple iterations of groups and people who make this happen. I just am sort of sitting in this current, um, the current iteration of that effort and it's a real honor and it's a real challenge and it makes me feel very hopeful for San Francisco that there could be a space of, um, you know, something like, something different. That was Caitlin Galloway. As we've mentioned, that's it for season four. We thank you again for sticking with us through a longer than normal season. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss reruns and special messages that we'll drop from time to time. We don't have a start date for season five just yet, but you can expect that later this summer. We'll be changing things up a bit, but the purpose of this show remains the same to feature what it is that makes San Francisco so special. 
Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 190 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, please rate and review our show so we can reach even more folks. We love email. Drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.